Vincent Malloy is seven years old. He's always polite and does what he's told. For a boy his age, he's considerate and nice. But he wants to be just like Vincent Price. He doesn't mind living with his sister, dog, and cats. Though he'd rather share a home with spiders and bats. There he could reflect on the horrors he's invented. And wander dark hallways of lone and torment. Vincent is nice when his aunt comes to see him, but imagines dipping her in wax for his wax museum. He likes to experiment on his dog, Abercrombie, in the hopes of creating a horrible zombie. So he and his horrible zombie dog could go searching for victims in the London fog. His thoughts, though, aren't only of ghoulish crime. He likes to paint and read to pass some of the time. While other kids read books like Go, Jane, Go, Vincent's favorite author is Edgar Allan Poe. One night, while reading a gruesome tale, he read a passage that made him turn pale. Such horrible news he could not survive, for his beautiful wife had been buried alive. He dug out her grave to make sure she was dead, unaware that her grave was his mother's flower bed. His mother sent Vincent off to his room. He knew he'd been banished to the Tower of Doom, where he was sentenced to spend the rest of his life, alone with the portrait of his beautiful wife. While alone and insane, encased in his doom, Vincent's mother burst suddenly into the room. She said, if you want to, you can go out and play. It's sunny outside and a beautiful day. Vincent tried to talk, but he just couldn't speak. The years of isolation had made him quite weak. So he took out some paper and scrawled with a pen, I am possessed by this house and can never leave it again. His mother said, you're not possessed and you're not almost dead. These games that you play are all in your head. You're not Vincent Price, you're Vincent Malloy. You're not tormented or insane, you're just a young boy. You're seven years old and you are my son. I want you to get outside and have some real fun. Her anger now spent, she walked out through the hall. 
While Vincent backed slowly against the wall, the room started to sway, to shiver and creak. His horrid insanity had reached its peak. He saw Abercrombie, his zombie slave, and heard his wife call from beyond the grave. She spoke from her coffin and made ghoulish demands, while through cracking walls reached skeleton hands. life that had crept through his dreams swept his mad laughter to terrified screams to escape the madness he reached for the door but fell limp and lifeless down on the floor his voice was soft and very slow as he quoted the raven from Edgar Allan Poe and my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore. God, I just love that man's voice. Sorry, folks. Um, I know it was a little extra long opener there, but it's just, um, well, it's Vincent Price, for Christ's sake. Like, we're going to listen to the whole thing. So, um, yeah. Thanks for tuning in, and this week we're going to really look into something that's a little bit different. Um, basically, uh, want to look at Vincent Price. Um, you know, this man has always been one of my, like, top favorite classic actors. Um, I mean, looking into him a little bit more, it's kind of amazing how much pop culture and how much he's kind of crossed over in that sort of reference. And uh, and we'll definitely get into that. Um, you know, this is... A little bit longer than my average podcast. So you may have to tune into a couple different ones here, depending. But um, basically, we're going to take a look at his early early works, early life. Um, you know where where he where he came from, like essentially, um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty neat. So um, basically, I opened up with um, you know so one of my favorite directors, Tim Burton. He was constantly, you know, inspired by Vincent Price. And this short story made in 82 is, of course, you know, with the voice and read by Vincent Price. Um, I mean, we'll get into it, but I mean, he did a lot of different things because his voice is so iconic. Um, that was just basically my first introduction. Um, well, there's a couple different ones. Like, I mean, the Simpsons, of course. I don't know if you guys really recall one of the early episodes when Lisa is uh, essentially um, she finds this egg kit. You know, they're gonna make the um, little, like paint your little eggs kind of thing, and um, uh, it's not actually him. But uh, you know, it, it was basically I'd say like my first time hearing that name and. Uh, and definitely stuck with me. So I'm just going to quickly play a little a little clip from that episode. Hello, this is Vincent Price. Oh, it's Vincent Price. I thought it was them. You should know the grave could never tame me. <laughs> oh, Mr. Price, I loved you in the abominable doc. If you are calling about the missing feet, leave your address, and the replacement feet will be rushed to you by my grandson, Jody. And now, I must return to the sweet embrace of the crypt. But I'll be back. <laughs> so is he alive or not? 
One of the most iconic laughs. Um, we'll definitely get into that, but um, The Simpsons is kind of mocking it. Not one. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's... Um, that was probably my very first time ever hearing the name at like, you know, six or seven, whenever that, that episode even came out. And, uh, and then, you know, later in life, hearing that name over and over again. So, um, I mean, who is Vincent Price? Where did he come from? So, I mean, his, uh, he is Vincent Leonard Price Jr., uh, born May 27th, 1911, as birthday is coming up, um, <clears throat> And he was born um, in St. Louis, Missouri, and um, essentially is the youngest of four kids, but wasn't wasn't born into poverty. Um, coming from Vincent Price Sr., um, and he was the president of a national candy company, and his wife Marguerite uh, Cobb, um, she or Cobb Price, she uh, you know wasn't anything famous, a house, um, housewife, but, um, you know, they were upper middle class. So they, they definitely lived well. Now, um, his grandfather, Vincent, um, Clarence Price invented Dr. Price's baking powder. So this is the first cream of tartar based baking powder, you know, kind of rub that you can use for certain, um, topical rashes. And, uh, essentially that kind of secured the family fortune. So, you know, this is, 1911 going to 1920, 1930, family had money, so they didn't really have to worry too, too much. Now, um, he was, uh, you know, kind of instantly pulled towards theater. He never really dabbled with any other of the family business. Um, and, uh, you know, he was a good kid through school and people basically, his daughter used this quote, but referred to him as a Renaissance man, you know, constantly questioning the world around him and, and always curious and wanting to know more, um, which I, that definitely makes sense to me. I mean, as I read more about him, he's constantly on the move, constantly wanting more, learning more, doing more, and and never kind of staying within the same sort of groove. Now, um, they, I guess they refer to him as the master of menace. I'll, I may have to look a little more into that. I haven't quite figured out why that name came up. Um, but uh, that might, probably came into it later in life once he got into his horror um, realm and working in the uh, the horror industry. Now, um, basically, uh, as a child, you know, things were, were good for him. Like I said, upper middle class. They had a very cultured upbringing. He went to private schools. And when he was 16 years old, actually ended up touring Europe. So, you know, very cultured and, uh, and given... Um, given a perspective on the world that um, not a lot of people would have had at that point coming from the States. Um, <clears throat> so that's uh, pretty fascinating. Now, he would go to Yale later in life and study English and art history. But after he finished, um, ended up going to England to um, complete his degree in fine arts at the University of London. And uh, at this point is when he's going to land his major first role. So it's 1935 and he's going to land the role of Prince Albert in a London production of Victoria Regina. And, um, and this would be moved to Broadway where he would co-star alongside Helen Hayes. And, uh, but this would become a huge hit, basically really just kind of like just projecting him onto the silver screen. So, um, 1938, uh, is his first film, Sylvester Luch. And, um, He's not into the horror yet. So this is really, uh, you know, his dramatic side. So, and I mean, he's 
a tall, lanky frame, but he has this really iconic voice. So um, he was really, really renowned for just making the best characters. Um, and uh, I think that's that's quite apparent considering once we get into some of the bigger roles that he played and the more iconic ones, I mean, there's still... When I think of these movies, he's what I think of. I don't think of the remakes they, they'd come up with later. So... Um, some of his first films, 1944, Laura, another dramatic film. If you look the picture up of it or look at the trailer, I mean, other than the voice, it really, you almost don't even know it's him. Um, later, he would do this film called Dragon Dragonwick, and he'd do some comedies like later in the 1950s. But um, like one of his favorites was Champ Champagne for um, Caesar. Um, but we'll, we'll get into that later, um, about his later roles. Now, um, he did his finally crossed into the horror realm in 1939 with Boris Karloff in the film, the tower of London. And I'm going to have to look this one up. I don't really know much about it. Um, but I think it would be pretty iconic to hear, you know, Vincent Price against Boris Karloff. The two of them are pretty iconic, you know, individuals and definitely had their own foothold at this point. Now, um, in 1940, Vincent Price is going to bring up the role of the Invisible Man. He wasn't used in the original, um, and uh, he would be used in the Invisible Man Returns for the voice, and later uh, would uh, bring up that voice cameo at the end of Albert and Costello Meet Frankenstein. Again, guys, if you haven't seen the Albert and Costello movies, go rent them now. They're freaking awesome and hysterical. Um, but really, he's not going to get into the disturbing territory until essentially like 1953 with House of Wax. But I'm going to cut off the film there because um, essentially the, I want to get into, you know, the 1950s and later in into the next um, bit of the podcast because he uh, basically going to cut it off and go to part two story at this point, guys. But uh, it's just, it's... It, I'd be talking for like 45 minutes here. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think, I think that would just drive you guys absolutely fucking bonkers. Um, but, uh, I'm going to break it up, you know, do a little more quality into it. Definitely do some research, but it's, um, pretty fascinating stuff once we get into the 1950s because we're also going to talk about Peter Cushing um uh, for those of you who don't know that's getting into like Star Wars realm and so forth and it's it's just a really really fascinating time in horror so um anyways gonna wrap this up um you know Vincent Price you know he's coming from a pretty lavish lifestyle pretty lavish life but at the same time he's He's not an asshole. Um, he's not a, a Kanye West, for lack of a better word. He's not going to have, um, you know, basically has money. It hasn't gone to his head. He's a, a calm, concise, very kind person. Um, but, uh, you know, essentially, you know, he'd be known for for really basically coming into a movie and he would be the one everyone remembers. Not that he was a scene stealer or, you know, in any way, but... Um, they they considered him uh like a, a he just he when he came into the film he, it wasn't his fault but he would take all the limelight so um you know essentially in a lot of these early films he wasn't supposed to be top build and ended up being top build because he was so iconic and so memorable and i mean realistically he could carry the film so um 
wrapping up there. We're going to pick up next time, you know, with the uh, 1950s, looking at House of Wax, The Fly, all those um, early iconic horror films. Um, quickly, just want to wrap up saying, um, you know, a really fascinating guy. Can't wait to tell you guys more. Um, thank you so, so much for listening. It's, uh, it's really cool to, to know that, um, you know, several of you listen weekly and check in just to see what uh, what else you can learn in the uh, the horror realm just warms my soul if uh, if I do have a tiny tiny remnants of one and um you know if there's anything you want me to cover you know if there's a film you're you know want to know a little bit more about just you know direct message me hit me up on Instagram I'm you know very approachable not gonna bite your head off love to chat uh to fans and um essentially guys you know of course uh keep calm stay creepy um and um totally gonna go off the rocker here but uh for those of you who haven't seen infinity war yet get off your ass and go to the theater what a kick-ass film um i went twice opening weekends because i just thought it was so flipping awesome um that's right i love horror but at the same time i'm a super geek uh for just about anything and uh and that film literally rocked my socks um but oh uh anyways all all is well like i said guys uh keep calm stay creepy and uh until next time